Hey folks, welcome to another episode of John Curry's Secure Retirement Podcast. Today I have a lady named Helen Livingston sitting across the table from me, and Jay Wolf is sitting here with us. Uh, Helen, welcome to our podcast first. Thank you very much. I've been wanting to do this interview for a long time, <laughs> because every time that we're sitting with you, I learn something new. You're a fascinating lady. Uh, she's always very kind, very gracious. Uh, she's tough as nails, though. I think you'll hear that come out in a few minutes. But, Helen, you retired That's twice right. twice Florida State University, yeah. most recently as Associate Dean at the College of Medicine. Correct. If you would please just kind of give us a background of who the real Helen is, a little bit about your background personally and professionally, and then we'll just take it from there. And, folks, I have no idea where this next 30 to 40 <laughs> minutes is going. We're just going to have fun and talk. Well, well I'm old, so it's going. It, <laughs> I've lived a while. Uh, I started out <clears throat> as a teacher, K-12 teacher, and did that for many years and became a school counselor. Uh, I found myself, uh, after my second marriage did not work out, um, supporting a single mother, pretty much, supporting a family. And uh, so I pursued earned four degrees during that time. You said four? Uh-huh. Tell us what they were. Well, I had uh, two master's, well, my bachelor's, of course, two master's degrees, um, a certification, administration certification when I became a high school principal, and then I earned, went back and earned my doctorate. <clears throat> and I did that because I could see that as a teacher, your options were limited. So if the more education you got, then you would have more options. And as a single mother with four children, uh, I, whom I had to educate and raise and keep alive, uh, that it seemed to me that my future depended upon the education that I availed myself of. So that's what I did. And fortunately... Um, it has never bothered me to leave one situation behind and move into the unknown. And uh, I was um, had I left my K twelve position. I was a high school principal for five years, and I decided that I couldn't. That five years is probably as much as you could give to a twenty four seven type of job like that, and survive. And um, I had, in the meantime, gone back and was very close to getting my doctorate. I had everything done but my dissertation. So I uh, had an opportunity, through some connections, of moving to um, Troy State University in Dothan as an administrator and working there. And I chose to leave my principal's position and go to Troy State. Um, and at, at, while I was there, I finished my dissertation and earned my doctorate. So all of this, you were in Alabama. I was in that? Alabama during all this time. <clears throat> Not during the whole time I worked, but during this latter part. Um, I was decided, well, when uh, Alabama taxes don't meet the needs of the state, they have what they call proration and everybody gets cut. And I had, uh, in the position I had, um, I was ex a director of Extended University, I found myself having, I'd worked two weeks without a break, and I had a, uh, a staff of 12 people to help me, 
And when proration hit, I lost all but two of them. Mm. But I still had to maintain that same job. The work did not get prorated. The work did not get prorated (laughs) at all. And so I started looking for positions. And the gentleman that had hired me at Troy State had moved on to southwest Georgia. He had a position. I applied for that. They were getting ready to hire me. Internal politics happened, and they withdrew the job offer. And and that would have been as a uh, teaching developmental psychology, lifespan development, which was would have been a good job. Um, so I kept looking, and there happened to be a position at FSU in the program in medical sciences, and I applied for it. Uh, my daughter lived down here in, <clears throat> outside of Tallahassee, and I thought, well, that you know, that'd be a nice place to relocate to. Um, so I just applied, and six months later, I got a call from Dr. Myra Hurt, who was the director of the program, came down here, interviewed, and she hired me on the spot. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was suddenly at FSU, and, and it was just a wonderful job. I was working in the program in medical sciences, which was the precursor to the medical school. We had, were then affiliated with the University of Florida. Learned an awful lot. Had never been in medical education, so I had to come up to speed. Learned an awful lot. <clears throat> had you completed your PhD? By I then? had by then. I had. And did you still have children at home? I uh, no, thank goodness. They were, <laughs> I finally got all four of them raised and grown and gone. Okay, good. Uh, so I was alone at that time. Um, and came came into the program in medical sciences, thinking that that was going to be the end of my career, and it would be a nice ending, you know. Interesting job. I was uh, working in admissions and working in the outreach program that Dr. Hurt had developed with uh, her, her colleague, uh, Thessla Anderson, and we were, the three of us, working together in that with other staff members as well. Uh, she had also developed a, um, a advising office to handle pre-med students, pre-medical advising office, and we were, I was in charge of that as well. So during that time, learned an awful lot, uh, and then about, I'd been there for about a year and a half, and suddenly there was this proposal that began floating around to uh, establish a four-year medical school at FSU. The legislature got involved, Dr. Dur- uh, Darrell Peden, who was in the legislature at that time, uh, John Thrasher, who was, uh, I think, Speaker of the House at that time. And um, they began to develop this law. You remember what year that was? That was in uh, 98, I think, was when the first proposal, because it took us about two years for the law to really emerge to create the medical school and to pass the legislation. It was a great thing for our community and and the university. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, and and so I was involved in that. Um, So the the law was passed in 2000. Um, Governor Bush was governor at the time, and we all, you know, he signed it into law, and we had to start admitting students to the new medical school but we still had the, the program in medical sciences students that we had to finish out, had to help them complete their program and get them on to the University of Florida. Um, 
it was a it was a challenge, you know, creating a new medical school. It was the first one in a generation, mm-hmm. and people were not happy. And you got in on the ground floor. I, I, I was on the ground floor, and there were many battles to fight. Uh, Dr. Hurt was our leader. She was the, the interim dean until we could hire one. And uh, it, it was a real challenge. One of the main things was that, that the kind of medical school we were establishing was not the traditional um, school where you have a medical education hospital. We were going to train our students in the community. The only, There were two programs that did that in the nation at that time. One was in Washington State, uh, the WAMI program, and the other was in uh, Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, in the Upper Peninsula, they had a, uh, a, a, a apprenticeship kind of model. So Dr. Hurt looked into that, and, and that's how we began to develop this apprenticeship model for Florida. And, and the idea, the, if, you, if you looked at where patients were, they were in the community. Right. <clears throat> there were only about 1% were in the hospitals where most physicians received their, cha- their training. So our model was going to be based on training the doctors where the patients were. So that was, uh, that was the, the glorious end to my first career, and we got that up and running, and um, I decided I wanted to retire. <laughs> well, before you go there, let's talk okay. about the impact that the medical school had in our community and surrounding communities, because I remember uh, with my doctor, uh, Bill Kepper, he did a lot of the training helping some people with some of the doctors or right. students yep. working as many we, we couldn't have done it without those uh, uh, community physicians. And it was amazing listening to the doctors talking about how the hope was that many of these students would go back to their communities. That's exactly right. And set up practices there in the rural communities. Exactly. I was shocked at how many people who never, ever even thought about having the hope of being a medical doctor were able to come to Florida State, That's right. go back to their little communities, and serve people. And it's amazing the percentage that have gone into primary care of the graduates from uh, the, the medical school at, at this year. Um, the many of the graduates, how many of the graduates have actually done that? Nice. There are many out there. Um, and, and we recruited students from those rural communities. That was my first task. As, uh, as we were founding the school, was to find these, these students and entice them to uh, come to FSU. Tell us more about that. How did you identify them? How did you get them here? And how, did you, how would you say, how would you go about even possibly measuring the impact that they've had in their communities? Well, I think, uh, you know, now they can actually look at that and, and see where our students are. And I, I don't have the exact data. Um, it's available on the College of Medicine website. But I want to say that more than almost 60% have entered primary care and are actually in a rural or uh, underserved community in the state of Florida. Uh, the, the rest <clears throat> of the students are slung throughout the nation mm-hmm. and in all of the uh, po- all possible um specialties but our focus and and we made no bones about it we were honest with the students we were recruiting that this was our focus 
our training program was set up uh, for that kind of that primary care training. I would want to be a good physician with who put patients first. Whatever specialty they entered, we didn't we didn't try to influence them, but we felt that uh, if they came from a community that they and wanted to go back to that community, that those <laughs> needs would uh, would emerge. That's great. I, I grew up in a little place over in Holmes County called Westville, went yeah. to high school in Bonifay. <clears throat> we didn't have any doctors there at the time. No, you do now. You'd have, that's right. You'd have yeah. to go over You have the Hawkins brothers, as a matter of fact. That's good. That's good. So talk a little bit about the recruiting process. How did you identify the people that might be good candidates? Well, they found me. If You know, they, you have sort of a recruiting trip that you make to all of the colleges in, in the state of Florida. And uh, <clears throat> I just visited every college. And I would, those that were interested in medical school or thought maybe something in medicine, uh, they would find me. Okay. And um, it, it's, uh, and then you have to, then they have to, they have to come with the goods. They have to have the academic prowess and the ability to, uh, to make it. So you told the story, and those who were attracted to the story came to you. Exactly. Very good. All right. Now let's talk about, uh, because you ultimately retired from that job. I did. But tell us, <clears throat> leading up to there, you were there how many years in that role? Uh, I was there for 10 years. 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then you decided to retire. I did. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I That had, was an interesting journey along yeah, the way. With, along with my daughter, who is an artist, I had opened a bookshop, book and art shop, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I would, to tell you the truth, starting the medical school, it took a lot out, out of all of us. And uh, <clears throat> I had reached that age when I could retire, so I did. <laughs> um, things happened, and I found that retirement didn't keep me busy enough, so I called Dr. Hurt and told her if she had a part-time position, I'd be interested. Would you share what you shared with me during lunch about what happened with the business? Because there are people out there that need to hear these type of stories too. Well, uh, in 05, we had all of the hurricanes that came through, Dennis, um, Ivy, I can't remember them all, but just a bunch of hurricanes, that Katrina, mm -hmm. <clears throat> that hit the, the coast. I think there were about four or five that came in this area. I mean, it was the year of the hurricanes. I, I, not as bad as this year, right. but almost. There were some really bad ones. And uh, the, the entire Gulf Coast was just devastated. And that impacted my business because it was down in the Big Bend area. Okay. And um, so I was doing pretty well before that happened. I looked at my bottom line and saw too much red. <laughs> <laughs> and I had said when I opened the business that I, as long as I was breaking even, maybe making a lot, I wanted to make a lot, but uh, doing pretty well, I would keep it open. But if I saw it going the other way, I'd get out. <clears throat> and that's what I did. One thing that I'm taking away from listening to you, that I've picked up bits and pieces during our time of working together, is that you, what you said earlier about willing to move on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to cut your losses. Oh, yeah. And you have to be willing to pursue opportunities as they appear. Well, you have to look at your situation. <clears throat> <clears throat> you have to put away the rose-colored glasses. And you have to you have to really be, you know, look at it in an honest 
through honest eyes. You have to see what's there, not what you wish was there. How do you think you learned that? Because you're a pretty strong person when it comes to How did you learn <laughs> well, I, that? Well, I think uh, I came started out in the cotton fields of southeast Alabama. And if you're, if you're farming, um, you have to be honest with what you see. Mm-hmm. And you have to respond and react to things that are not in your control. And, um, you know, for some people, it makes them skittish. They're afraid to do anything. And for others, it makes them bold. And it just happened to make me sort of bold. I love it. Uh, And then life's experiences uh, were such that taught me that if I, again, was honest with myself, looked at the field with clear eyes, I could make good decisions. Sometimes they were scary decisions, and um, sometimes they didn't work out the way I thought they would work out. But if you keep persevering, you can succeed. But you have to be aware of of when an opportunity is in front of you and what you need to do with that opportunity. Okay, now you you brought up age a while ago. You made a comment about me (laughs) because you're old. How young are you now? Tell us how old I'm 77. So here's a lady 77 years old. You're sitting across the table from her. You never believe she's 77. Full of energy. uh, Just full of energy, period, and a passion. So go back to your story about you retired. You had the the business. Mm -hmm. You called uh, uh, Dr. Hurd again. So take it from there. So she had... In her now, this lady, you have to understand her. She's a she's a dynamo herself, and she's always thinking, and always looking forward. Um, so when I called her, she said, "Yeah, I, I may have something that'll come up." She said, "Let me work on it. We've got some <laughs> things going on." I was thinking part time, <laughs> and um, I, I was doing some traveling at the time. And she says, "Well, when you get back, give me another call." By then, she said, "I should know something." And so uh, when I did call her, when I returned and did call her back, she said, yeah. Um, and this, and she said, let's talk about it. And she came in and she told me what she wanted me to do. So I was still thinking part-time, but she wasn't. <laughs> so she had, there were several things that, that she felt needed to be addressed, and she felt I had the skill set to do that. Um, before I had retired the first time, she and I had started a bridge program, which was a transition program to help get students who might have some weak or um, academic background or had um, some difficulties that would make it, they needed to beef up on some coursework uh, to do well in medical school. And we, we, we knew that they were the type of student that we wanted to, to meet the mission of the medical school, but we, they needed some extra help and they met the demographics and the uh, background rural minority underserved uh, kinds of communities that they came from so we had started that program and it was doing well but uh, she and the administration at the time at the medical school felt that it should be a master's program but it could only be a, a nine-month or 12-month program. It, it, it couldn't be the traditional two-year program because they simply didn't have time. We had to get them in and get them into medical school and 
how do you how do you make a master's degree that does that? So that was a, that's what you call fast track. That's fast track is right, but it need it had to also have the rigor mm-hmm. and the kinds of academic experiences that when you grant a master's degree that it's a true master's degree, right. not a watered down version. Well, it had to be. It had to have standards, and you had to earn it. It had to have standards. Had to earn it. Had to have some. Had to have a research component. Had to have all the academic components that necessary because you also had to bring these students up to speed so that they would be successful in medical school. And so that was my task when I came back. And then there were there were there was a list of other tasks that needed to be attended to that uh, she felt that with my education background. Um, I would be the one to help get those um, realigned so that they were fulfilling the um, standards that we wanted them to fulfill. Nice. How long did you do that? That was, well, I, again, I, I was thinking five years. It turned into another <laughs> another 10 year, 11 years, 11 years. 11 years in the... After retirement. <laughs> yeah, so now, you retired. And now finally, I, you know, before I said I wanted to retire before I turned 80, so I told him I, I, I'm going. Plus, I had identified uh, a young man who could take my place and as associate dean, and I felt that he was ready, and I could walk out and not worry about it. Knowing that your baby was taken my care of? My baby would be taken care of, and I wasn't wrong. He's, he does an excellent job, Dr. Anthony Spates. Talk a little bit about what, uh, I know you travel quite a bit. I have. I don't do so much anymore, unfortunately. Well, the pandemic has stopped. <laughs> the pandemic has so. stopped me. But talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done, uh, quote, in retirement both times, and some of the things that are in the future. Because we find that the most popular podcasts we do are the ones where people talk about what they're doing after retirement. Because most people have a hard time retiring and enjoying life. So talk about that. Well, uh, as I say, I I do love to travel. Um, I was very, I'm very fortunate to have two sets of families. My uh, third husband has family in North Carolina, so I visit them quite a bit before the pandemic. And uh, there, he was from Ireland, and uh, we, I was able to take a trip back to Ireland before the pandemic hit us last September. Um, but really enjoyed traveling all over. Uh, I've been to to China, um, done the Mediterranean cruise. Anything that puts you into a new situation and and enables you to interact with uh, people you don't normally interact with. So to me, that's the, the traveling is not it's the sights, yes, but it's also uh, interacting with people who are different from you. One of the reasons I worked, I just got through working the polls in Wakulla County, which is pretty rural, pretty different. Right. Uh, of course, it was like going back home to me. I mean, I grew up rural, so this is uh, being out with people that uh, who were like the people I grew up with was a was a good reminder. That just reminded me of something. Let's talk about your experience yesterday. You shared with us about the gentleman who was voting for the first time at age 50, 
having some difficulty. Yeah. Share a little bit of that story because I think in this divisive world we're in, oh, yeah. I think people need to hear about how people are willing to be so helpful. Would you share that? Well, it, you know, it's it's. Um, I was very impressed with the poll workers who were, and the supervisor of elections uh, in McCullough County, uh, Buddy Wells, who was just adamant that the votes counted. And anybody that came in there that wanted to vote, their vote was going to count. Mm-hmm. So this gentleman came in, and he he just had difficulty with the ballot. It you know obviously if you don't if you're not in some bureaucratic functionary job or or situation where you had to fill out a lot of forms, you hand him a ballot. I mean it. Yeah, I know there were samples around and so forth, but it's still different. Right. And he just was having difficulty, and, and we, I think he had spoiled two ballots, and we were on the third. And finally, they just sat him down at a table and just helped him <laughs> make sure that this third ballot was going to go through okay. And it didn't matter how he voted. No. It didn't matter what color he was. That's right. It comes down to what you... Do well, it, it's a, what uh, it's citizen. it's the it's the basis of our <laughs> our whole democracy, mm-hmm. is that every person's vote is important. I had some people one time at a uh, social function were complaining. This was years ago. They were complaining. It was back in two thousand because of the Bush Gore debacle, you know. Oh my goodness! Supreme Court. <laughs> and one guy spoke up. And he said, "Well, I never, I've never voted, and never will." And I said. You obviously never served in the military, did you? He said, no, I didn't. And I said, I cannot imagine anyone not voting because the, the, so many people sacrifice their lives yeah. to give us that right, going all the way back to, to the American Revolution. I mean, give me a break here. But yet you're, here you are sitting and complaining, and you're telling me you've never voted. To me, you have no right to complain at all. I, I, I agree with you, but I think it's amazing, and you know, as divisive a time as we're living through, which is unfortunate and uncomfortable, the fact that in this election, over 130 million people voted in this election is astounding. Yes. And by the time they get through counting all the votes, I'm going. I think it's going to be even higher than that. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, we we should all want 100 percent. Yes. Because then we get a true picture of what our country is, warts and all. I agree with that. But I will, I'd rather talk about politics. I don't think we ever have on these, but I'll tell you what I do wish. I wish that there were no polling allowed and no discussion who's ahead well, until the Obviously, they're, they're, they're useless anyway. <laughs> well, that's true. But I think you should just, you discover once it's done. Yeah. But then we put a lot of TV anchors out of business. Wouldn't, I, we? wouldn't we, though? <laughs> that might be a good thing. It might be. Maybe. So let's talk about your future. Okay. Yeah, my you're, future. You're, you're a young 77-year-old. You're in good health, physically looking good. Well, I hope What's the future? Well, I hope to uh, one day be able to go visit my family again. I, because as I was you know, with, a, with a, a career that was very demanding, I unfortunately didn't spend a lot of time visiting family. And, and now I can, and I want to do that. That's mm-hmm. that's what's important, I think. Um, I also want to do some traveling again and um, 
I don't have any particular destinations in mind, but there there are some there are some interesting places that I might want to. What are some of the places you'd like to go to? Well, I want to. What I'd really like to do is the there's a trip across Canada that I would like to take a rail trip mm-hmm. that I've always wanted to take, and then when I get to the other side of the to the Pacific side, I'd like to take a trip and see Alaska. Um, internationally. It's funny, as I've grown older, I'm, I'm more interested in this country and uh, this hemisphere than I am in going across the ocean. That uh, that travel is difficult. It's interesting you say that, because I came to the same conclusion. I've been to Europe a few times, love it. But I'm to the point now where I literally want to go to all 50 states. Yeah. And I don't mean just fly in and fly in. I mean no, go, go do something there. Yeah. And just enjoy. Yeah. And as much of it as I can, I just want to drive. So drive and take in the scenes. You know? And uh, well, one of the best trips I took was with my sister. And we just we we have a brother that lives in Tucson. And so and she lives in Alabama. So I drove up, picked her up, and we we didn't have a we didn't have a schedule. We had a map. Oh. And we headed west. And we'd see something that looked interesting, and we'd stop and tour and visit, and just had the best time. And of course, it drove my brother crazy. He was ex-military. He wanted to know when, where we were, and when we were getting there. Uh, and we say, "Ah, oh, we don't know. We're in truth of consequences tonight, so uh, we might be there tomorrow." <laughs> we'll but be it was there one when of the, we get there. That's right. right <laughs> when we get there, and it was really so. The driving is, and if you leave yourself open to stopping and enjoying what's along the way. Okay. I would like for you to offer some advice here. Oh, goodness. So if someone that. who is still working, mm-hmm. let's say someone's listening to this that's fairly, let's say they're in their 40s or 50s, mm-hmm. maybe in their 60s even, but they're to the point of where they're challenged by their work. They have opportunities, but maybe there's some fear. With your background, share a little bit of how you would counsel them to consider options in front of them. And then we'll talk about people that are retired. Well, it's real easy to stay where you are, but it is not always uh, the most fulfilling nor the most lucrative. I think you have to have a clear-eyed view of opportunities when they present themselves and the courage to walk through those open doors and not look back. Amazing. So we talk with people about the dangers they're facing, threats, Mm -hmm. the opportunities in front of them, that maybe they see them, sometimes they don't see them, and also what are your existing strengths. And we challenge people, a friend and I do this all the time, he'll say, John, I need you to question my answers. Mm -hmm. And I'll do the same with Steve. So it's amazing, though, that looking back on your career, the changes that you've made the doors were open. You could have easily said, no, thank you. I have four children I'm taking care of. I'm yep. not doing that. Uh, you know, one, for example, uh, becoming a high school principal. I, I was the first woman hired to be a high school principal since World War II in the state of Alabama. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it, You know, because people didn't think that women could manage um, they were mainly worried about the high school boys. So the boys were the easiest ones. The girls were the ones you had to worry about. Um, and I saw it as an opportunity. I had the credentials to do the work. 
it would have been easier for me to have remained in my uh, position as a school counselor. But it, 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 I felt like I could do the job, and I felt that I could be a good instructional leader for the faculty, and that was my goal. And, and I could bring some uh, needed changes to the programs in that particular school. And uh, I did that work for five years. I had one old guy that told me when I, and it was quite a thing for me to, you know, every meeting I went to, there just there was uh, there was me, and then all the other principals were men. So <laughs> it was uh, interesting being the only female in that setting. Were you having to prove yourself all the time in that environment? Huh? Were you having to feel like you had to prove yourself all the time? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you do. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, think about those that day and time in the 90s, 80s and 90s. You, you better be able to prove yourself and willing to do it and not take offense when you had to. More so then than now. You know. Oh, absolutely. So uh, one old fella said you have to worry about the four Bs. That's uh, the buses, the budget, the band, and... Uh, the, the, those things, if you were, if you get all of that squared, squared away, you'll be okay. And he was absolutely right. Mm. And and ball, ball. athletics, yeah. Funny. And uh, so I took that to heart. I thought he'd been at this a long time. That was good advice. Made sure that all of the the, the four Bs were taken care of. And but that is a it, it's a hard job being a high school principal. A very hard job. I can't imagine being an educator. Period. In today's world. Because yeah, it, it's it's at, at any level, mm-hmm. any level, especially our school teachers, K to twelve. Okay, let's let's counsel people who are either close to retirement. They're thinking about okay, do I retire or do I stay? Because I look at myself, I'll be sixty-eight in uh, about a month, and I look at it, I don't want to ever fully retire, as long as I am relevant, and I bring value, and I'm healthy and can do what I want to do. I want to do it. But I want to do it more on my terms. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that earlier. You're living a lifestyle you want to live. Yep. So I don't want to have to go to work. I choose to go to work. Right. And I get to pick and choose who to work with. But some people don't have that. True. Some people are in jobs where you do it my way or it's the highway. But for that person who's close to retirement and they're think, trying to decide, do I stay or do I retire? What would you say to that person? Well, I think you have to ask yourself, okay, I want to retire. Why am I wanting to do that? Why do I not want to work? I mean, it, sometimes it sounds like because I don't want to have to get up in the morning. I don't want to have to do this. I want to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be, I think, um, you have to understand what the time, how much time that's going to allow you because it's it becomes how do I fill my days? And do you have do you have the physical and intellectual wherewithal to fill your days? That's one of the questions I think you have to ask yourself. That's a good question. I like that. I know in my case, uh, I take quite a bit of time off, but I want to plan it, then go. But as you know, I had a little shoulder issue, and I was out of work right. for a while. And I don't like sitting at home. Now, if I've got something planned to go do, that's one thing. And I do like I like sleeping in, just kind of like laying around. But I, I, I know me enough to know that I can't do that every day. I'm not there. The day may come, but I'm not there. And, and I think you have to 
you have to understand that about yourself. So, you know, just like you have, you you understand yourself. You understand your needs. Mm-hmm. Now I'm perfectly fine being by myself. I like my company, but not everybody is that way. Well, well, let me be clear. I like being by myself. If I'm out of my property where I, I'm out there by myself <laughs> and it's planned, that's one thing. But sitting home watching. But you the, still want, you want some sort of purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think that that's another thing. You have to be clear-eyed about that. Do I do I have the wherewithal to create the kind of purpose that will be fulfilling to me because you don't want to become depressed or angry at your situation when you're old and finished your 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 work phase of your of your life and some people just may never retire and i think that's okay too i think you have to understand uh who you are it's also important that you take a a a good clear-eyed look at your uh, I hate to use the word financial but your fiscal situation Mm -hmm. so that you know that you're not going to add stress to your life because there will be enough stress getting old (laughs) (laughs) it is not for the faint of heart what did you say earlier getting old is not for sissies no it isn't And, and so you have you want to make sure that you you do not create more stress for yourself upon retirement. Right. And, and that's the part that I focus on about 25 years ago, as I'm going to focus on retirement planning issues. Not, not just and, you're, reti- and you're very good at that. <laughs> right. Thank you for that. For that. Uh, we've got a good team, you know, Jay, April, Audie, myself, Zach. We, one thing I, I can't teach people is how to care. We have a good caring team. And uh, it's not just about money. No, uh, it can't just be about how much money is coming in. That's why from, I hated to use the word fine because it isn't that. No, I'm glad you put, said it the way you did because we like to ask people this question. That's great. So now you retire, you got plenty of time. Do you have enough money mm-hmm. to allow you to do what you want to do exactly. in that time? They go, Ooh, I don't know. I said, Let's find out. But I think there's a lot more. I have an advantage over people. I've been doing. I'm in my 46th year doing this. And I started focusing on retirement planning stuff a long time ago. And I'm glad that you exist because, <laughs> because I don't want to know all of that. Well, thank you for that. But what I learned over the years is I have, by dealing with literally thousands of people, I have the benefit that I've learned from them. I'm thinking of people now, our oldest clients are 102, a lot of clients in their 90s, mid-90s, or late 90s even. So I've learned so much in working with mm-hmm. them. Because they would say, what do you know about this? I know nothing about it. Well, would you please figure it out and help me? Well, of course, by learning about that for that person, it allowed me to help the next person that comes along. So we take the mindset that if we can learn something new, that's great. Now, I was interviewed yesterday for a, um, a survey. And they said, well, what keeps you going? I said, the fact that I, every day I learn something new. And I get to share that with other people. So you got to be the student and you also got to be the teacher. That's right. Well, and I think and that's that's. I'm glad you brought that up. That's important because I I um, I think continuing to learn and continuing to be a student about things around you, mm-hmm. whether whether it's a formalized setting or not. All right. Um, and I think also, aging and retiring sort of go hand in hand, and um, good health and 
making sure that you maintain that and recognizing when you enter um, a situation, either physical or mental, where you need help, and then you seek that help out. And I think sometimes people retire and they just forget about all of that, and then they wake up one day and, and they find themselves not happy or or they find their circumstances difficult because life continues. Yes. Even though you're retired, it continues. You know, one of the things uh, we had here, here we're in the midst of a pandemic. Boy, we didn't plan for that, did we? No, we didn't. And um, my, I've been, I've had a horse for 25 years that, I quit riding when I turned 70, but anyway, I still had him. I had to put him down. That was unforeseen. I did not realize how difficult that was going to be for me. Mm-hmm. And um, saying goodbye to my old friend mm-hmm. was hard. And that's that's one of the things you have to have to, I think, gird yourself for, and that is loss, because it will come. Yes. In some some shape or form, and you have to understand the strength that you have and your vulnerability to handle and deal with it and move on. On that note, there's nothing else that I think either one of us could say that would back up what you just said, make that any better. So let's move on and just simply say this: I thank you so much for allowing us to do this. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Same here. And folks, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, I get the benefit of sitting across the table interviewing people like Helen, and it's just fun. And I learn something new every time, and you're an inspiration. Well, thank you. You are, too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you'd like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance does not a guarantee of future results. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System, the Living Balance Sheet, and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005-2020. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own. 2021-115530 expires February 2023.